Welcome to The Modern Romantic, where we celebrate romanticism through passionate people doing incredible things. Hi, I'm Emily. And this is my co-host, Trey. Hi. <laughs> and today we have a guest with us that Trey would love to introduce. Wouldn't you, Trey? <laughs> I would love to. I have been waiting for this for a while. So uh, tonight's special guest is an incredibly gifted actor and singer, gracing international opera stages, musical theater venues, and countless other mediums. He truly embodies the award of most innovative singer. Ladies and gentlemen, artistes and aristocrats, please welcome Grammy Award winner, Zachary James. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming. Of course. So nice to be here. Um, so first and foremost, let me just say, um, you are a traveling person. You you were in London uh, about a month and a half ago. Yeah. You were in Florida recently, and, and now you're in yeah. Arkansas. You were in Florida recently. Yeah. Um, you, how frequently do you travel? Like every week. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just in Mexico City too uh, before Florida. So yeah, it's been, <laughs> I get around. <laughs> I think that's kind of an understatement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm happiest traveling. It's, it's a weird affliction, but it's, it's fun. And you were in London recently too. How was that? Yeah, it was wonderful. It was my fourth time working in London at English National Opera, and um, they've been going through a lot of big upheaval lately. So this time I was kind of like, ooh, I hope this isn't my last time with them. But it, it was a very memorable experience this time around, for sure. Cool. Uh, yeah. What was this, uh, the production in London? Uh, Akhenaten, the Philip Glass opera that I've been doing for, I guess, eight years now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> off and on for since 2016. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was our third revival of Akhenaten at English National Opera since 2016. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, what got, uh, so I do have to ask, what got yeah. you started with Akhenaten? So I, uh, it kind of goes back to my last Broadway show, which was The Addams Family. Um, when I was doing that, uh, the director of that show, Phelan McDermott, asked me to audition for Philip Glass for a new opera that he was writing called The Perfect American about Walt Disney. And they needed somebody to play a robotic Abraham Lincoln at Disneyland. So they called me and I got the role and it was super cool um, but it it got me uh into the philip glass world so uh, a couple years later they were putting on this new production of akhenaten and they didn't know what to do with this particular role because it's a speaking role and uh, it was a co-production with la opera and la wanted a celebrity so they were asking um like john malkovich and tilda swinton to do it and they either said no or didn't respond and uh so about a week before the first rehearsal for this production i got a facebook message from phala mcdermott as i was grocery shopping and i was reaching for a bag of frozen peas and i get this message and i drop the peas and pick it up and it's like hey what are you doing next week can you come to london do you know how to juggle and i was like yeah yeah um and then i took a couple juggling lessons because i started <laughs> certainly didn't know how to juggle and uh yeah and then I was in Akhenaten <laughs> and um I didn't know at the time it would you know change my life and you know bring a Grammy and that I'd be doing it for eight years I thought it was just like oh I'm gonna go just do the show for a couple weeks in London but here, here yeah. we are still doing it I love um, that you remember the bag of peas part. always yeah yeah I remember everything about the the weird moments where your life changes yeah and you don't know what's gonna change but something um something tells you to hold on to those memories mm -hmm. yeah 
And then in hindsight, you're like, ah, peas. Peas. Yeah. Peas. <laughs> Please, somebody clip that. That is. Kind of like... <laughs> I got you. That... So, two questions. One, um, because you've been traveling and this is your fourth time back to London for this yeah. production, uh, do you have any favorite spots that you like to travel to? In London specifically or worldwide or? Uh, both. Both. Uh, well, I love London. It feels like home because I've spent so much of, uh, you know, I spent like over a year of my life there in the last 10 years um, doing Philip Glass operas at English National Opera. So it's kind of weird. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a weird tourist in that I don't... Um, Everyone's like, oh, what restaurants are you going to, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm eating protein bars and I walked 20 miles today. Like, that's kind of my tourism is I just go out on foot and I like to see everything and every street. And I like to leave a place feeling like I know every nook and cranny and that if you drop me in the middle of it, you know, I would know where I am and, and how to make my way out. So I'm, I'm very much like a big walker um, and I love walking London, the Thames and um, around Covent Garden and uh you know, the museums there are amazing. They're, they're all free entry. So it's it's a really cool, uh, really cool place to just walk around and, you know, listen to people talk British at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, traveling is my favorite thing. And um, I've been really privileged to go to so many places doing, doing what I do. Um, I would say highlights are Tokyo, Brisbane, Madrid, um, as far as like incredible experiences. Yeah, uh, didn't you do the um, the Perfect American in Madrid? Yes, yeah, we premiered there and then went to London and then went to Brisbane. Yeah, so yeah, it's weird looking back and you're like, oh, weird Philip Glass operas have showed me the world. <laughs> <You know? laughs> cool. And, <laughs> along that same line, I do want to go back to one of the comments because that I didn't realize that it was a robotic Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, like um, robot dance. That's, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's why they were like, mm, we need someone that isn't really in the opera world. We want a theater person who's like dance oriented and stuff. And, you know, I just was pretending like I knew how to sing over an orchestra without a microphone at that moment in my career. <laughs> <laughs> um so you've been lurch in the Adams family. You mm -hmm. you created the role of robotic Abraham Lincoln mm -hmm. in Perfect American. Yep. Um, and you've done all of these incredible performances. Um, what was it like to be able to get to essentially create or be part of the creative process and creating new characters? Oh, it's my favorite, and and I've I've been in the room on a lot of new productions. Some um, that you've heard of and some that will never be heard of again you know just it's that's the cool thing about new new operas and musicals and plays is you really don't know what's going to happen um like you have no idea um the perfect american we thought would be this huge sensation and you know it was like three productions and done dead in the water and then akhenaten keeps going and going but um i love being in the room with a composer and i love when things are kind of tailor written for my voice because i have a weird voice and it does weird things and i love with um especially you know living composers um I was recently in the room with Paola Pristini on a world premiere and I've been with Missy Mazzoli on a, on a piece and, and they're like, what does your voice do? What's your high note? What's your low note? But what colors do you have? And 
um, what does it sound like if you, one time I was asked like, what does it sound like if you were about to see your friend get hit by a car, what's the noise you would make? And I was like, you know, I just screamed like high pitched and it was a note that if it were on the page, I would look at it and be like, I don't sing that note, but I actually can, I just didn't know, you know, and sure. it came out with like an emotional response and then it was written in and we performed it like that with that vocal gesture of yelling. And then like I get messages from other bass baritones who are doing the role and they're like, how did you sing this high A flat? It's impossible. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you the story. It doesn't, you don't really sing it just like scream, you know, but it's fun. I, I love, um, I love being behind the scenes and part of the creative process and, and having a, um, having input and, and especially when you're asked and treated like an equal in the collaboration process, that's a really, really special experience. Um, when, when it's truly collaboration and like all voices in the room, um, get to contribute. Cause that was one of the things that I was thinking about. A lot of times I see more direction of actors and they get less of a voice, but yeah. I love hearing that, that you get more of a voice in that room. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hit and miss, honestly. In some pieces, um, your ideas aren't welcome, depending on who's behind the table. And some, they're encouraged and sought after. Um, and that's really rewarding. Um, you know, but similarly, on a new piece, it can be really frustrating when you're, like, workshopping it for two years and you're like, I see what doesn't work, but my opinion is not welcome. And we all feel the same way. But I guess, you know, and then you get the reviews and it's like everything you've been saying for two years is written up in reviews. And you're like, well, nobody asked us. <laughs> but, yeah, it's tough sometimes. One thing that... I would also kind of like to know is I read somewhere that you are actually the son of a jazz guitarist. Yeah. You originally wanted to be a band conductor. Is that correct? Yeah. I wanted to be a high school marching band director. That was my big dream. There's <laughs> so, still time. There is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I loved marching bands so much. Um, it just, I realized after the fact that it was like the pageantry and the theater of it that I loved, it wasn't like playing snare drum. Okay. So, yeah, or or education. I didn't actually want to be a band director, but <laughs> you went the I right direction to, then. I went to like twirl flags and wear costumes. So did you play yeah. an instrument then? Yeah, I played. Um, I was uh, general percussion. I did kind of everything, and then I was the drum major my senior year. And so I went to college for music education, percussion, and lasted one semester before I transferred to the theater department. <laughs> Good move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what made you transfer to the theater department? Well, I couldn't pass my snare drum jury. And um, also there were, uh, at, at the same time as my jury, there were, um, and I was like at a probationary status, by the way. So it was like a really important jury, like I had to pass or they were gonna kick me out. Um, that same week, there were auditions for a community theater production of Into the Woods. And I went to those and I was like, if I get a part in this musical, I'm going to switch my major. And I got Rapunzel's Prince and switched my major. So, and I failed my snare jury. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. And that's here we are. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But actually, so my high school band director recently retired. And I went back to my high school and I sang a concert uh, for him with a couple other alum. And it was really special. And I told that story and I was like, you're the coolest man I've ever known. And because you're so cool, you fooled me into thinking I wanted to be a high school band director. But I really just thought you were cool and wanted to be like you. It wasn't oh, the actual man. career path. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's so, awesome. Yeah. 
I bet he's really proud of you too. He is. He is. Yeah. No, he's awesome. He came up to the Met uh, to see me and Akhenaten, and uh, I asked for seats from my connection in the office, and she gave him and my high school chorus teacher the general director's box which is like the best seat in the house oh, and nice. they, they were like they thought they were royalty you know it's a really that's special so thing. great yeah Gosh. oh that's awesome so well what other paths of entertainment have you done then and have you uh, the paths of entertainment well like um, you've you've acted you've you yeah sing. Like you, name it, and I've done it. I think you've done cook, <laughs> you've done cooking shows, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I've done burlesque. I've done like I've done a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you've done uh, you've been yeah. a what concert, television, movies? Yeah. Yeah. So I well I I um so I switched out of that music education percussion program and became a theater major, and then I realized I wanted to study musical theater. Um, I kind of got bit by that bug, and I ended up transferring to a different school and I got a musical theater degree. So I was pursuing that, like I wanted to be on Broadway and be an actor and do TV and everything. And then my voice teacher was like, oh, your voice kind of fits opera too. Like you should check this out. So I kind of set out on this split path, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I was always bartering with myself like, okay, audition for Manhattan School of Music, but also audition for the national tour of Oklahoma. And whichever one you get, that means that's the path you're supposed to do. And then I would get both. And I'd be like, damn, what do I do? You know, and I kept, and then I realized like, oh, you don't have to choose. You can do both or, you know, whatever. Um, and it was, my 20s were like a wild roller coaster ride of like, should I do opera? Should I do musical theater? I don't know. Let's switch back and forth every month. And then by the time I got in my 30s, I was like, oh, you can actually do both. And that's encouraged now. That's awesome. Because so, not yeah. all <laughs> operatic performers do musical theater. Right, right. It's true. Well, and it's funny because a lot of people think I think of me as like this opera singer and all my life I've been this like actor who's faking opera and everyone's like, oh, you're that opera singer that sometimes does musicals too and like other way around, but I fooled you. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm really yeah. a juggler. Yeah, like I know nothing about opera and every time I do one, I'm learning new things. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, oh, singing in French. What's that? I guess we'll learn really quick. You know, it's like, um, because I didn't do the training for opera. So it's like always something new. <laughs> I actually love that part of your story. Thanks. Um, you know, we, we try here on the podcast, we meet, meet a lot of people that are just starting out in their art and are advanced in their art and at all stages in between. Yeah. And we're always encouraging people to to dive in do something mm -hmm. like you know tell them you can juggle so that you can jump in and dive in and you have get to those yeah opportunities. yeah so yeah. um i love that that's your story and that you have made it this far doing just that and thanks well you know you i heard i heard some stories of other people you know so that like i heard this story when i was in college about rebecca luker you know a famous broadway actress who's no longer with us unfortunately um, but about her, she was auditioning for I think Meg in Phantom of the Opera and they were like and you dance on point and she was like absolutely and then learned overnight how to dance on point <laughs> for the callback and yeah I remember that being this like urban legend of Rebecca Luker in in Phantom auditions and how you should always just say yes and that you know how to do whatever they're asking <laughs> so it's like yes I juggle I you know I tap yeah like recently I did Young Frankenstein and mm -hmm. it was um, 
there was going to be a tap audition for it. They were like, we're interested in you for this role, but we want you to audition and we would need you to do a tap audition. And at the bottom of the email from the agent, um, from the casting director to the agent, it was like, please let us know if your client is offer only. And this is just something they say to like everyone always, but I'm never like, oh, offer only. I don't audition. But I was like, I think I need to tell them I'm offer only because I don't know how to tap dance, but I really want this role. But if I tell them I'm offer only, they can't ask me to tap dance for them and I can just tell them I do and then I can learn. And that's, so that's what I did. <laughs> and, it gives you that time to learn. Yeah, it's like, I have a month to learn how to tap. <laughs> yeah, but well, you, it worked. You, know, you hear so. about actors, you know, film actors doing that all the time where they're like, yeah. oh, sure, I can ride a horse. And then they're oh, like, yeah, running yeah. quick to take horseback riding lessons. And Yeah, yeah. But I guess it says something about your, I don't know, your confidence or stupidity that you're, you know, you're like, okay, sure. You know, and then you always get to tell that story later after you do the mm -hmm. job. You're like, I actually didn't know how to do this. Right. And it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually juggling peas in the middle of a yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So I haven't seen that show, but there must be juggling in it. Uh, Akhenaten? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of juggling in it. Um, it's this new production, um, and there's it juggling throughout the entire show. And I just juggle in one scene, but and okay. I honestly didn't even need to, but they thought it would be cool. So, but and now you can juggle. Now I can juggle. I just did uh, Billy Flynn in Chicago this weekend, okay. and they were like, "Do you know how to juggle by chance? We'd love for you to juggle and razzle dazzle." And I was like, "I do actually. Like I really do." <laughs> and for I real this time. Yeah, I'm not lying. <laughs> What is the weirdest thing that you've been asked to do in a show that you had to learn how to do? Um, I mean, juggling was big. I guess that's not incredibly weird. I would say actually for Abraham Lincoln Robot, I had to learn how to do, you know, street street dance, like the robot, you know, but um, like uh, uh, isolation street dance. Um, so I, I worked on that and... I was so um, so nervous about the singing of it that I overcompensated and I was like, I have to be the best robot that has ever lived so they don't fire me because I can't sing over an orchestra. So, <laughs> so I just went in like roboting, like, you know, the best of them, like as if I had been a hip hop dancer my whole life. And yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have so many other robots to compare you to. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> these things we tell ourselves sometimes. Oh, of of course. like, of I'm going to get fired, imposter syndrome. And you're never just like, oh, it's going to be chill. They're going to work with me and it's going to be so nice and easy. It's always like, they're going to fire me on day one. I better be, you know, I better have an ace up my sleeve. <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's funny how much imposter syndrome comes up on the show. Uh, it's a big, big thing. You know, uh, a young, uh, just out of school artist asked me about this yesterday. He was like, I have imposter syndrome. Like, how do I get over it? And I was just like, everybody has it. Like Beyonce has it. Everyone has it. Just like, no, you're not alone. And that's that. Like, we all have it. We all deal with it. It's a, it's a badge we wear, I think, you know, and it comes and goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, and also read Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, because that helps a lot. That helped me, that book. Julia so. Cameron's The Artist Away. The Artist's Way. Oh, yeah. The Artist's Way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I will have to pick that up. Yeah, it's good. It's like a workbook, and it asks you some serious questions, and you have to answer them. And then 
like take yourself on artist dates and stuff and journal. Okay. <laughs> it's super cheesy and also will change your life. Okay. I'm here for cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Life changing cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a new segment on our show. Cheese. Yep. That could be like our little, um, we were talking about having like a sub I don't want to call it a sub podcast, but it would be like under the umbrella of modern romantic, having like a series on the side under this umbrella that would be like talking about imposter syndrome, talking about fear, talking about yeah. other aspects of art that people um, struggle with or it's, you know, some kind of emotion that's involved with art and, and things like that. And just having open, honest conversations about those things and bringing people on that have in, insightful things to talk about mindset coaches and whatnot that maybe would help with some of that so yeah yeah sure we can call it uh what did you say trey artist <laughs> cheese no what was it inspirational cheese <laughs> life-changing cheese life-changing i'm sorry i was just gonna let you keep going <laughs> just gonna flounder <laughs> over here thank you <laughs> um along the same lines of learning to do things like during a production um yeah. back in college i had this friend, uh, Nathan, if you're listening, hi, thank you for listening, but also I'm about to embarrass you. Um, he couldn't whistle, and we ah. were doing Albert Herring, oh. and there's this big um, cadenza at the end of one of his arias that he got the role of um, and had to learn how to whistle. Couldn't do it. Wow. So he kept trying and trying and trying. And so we went on break for a little bit. Uh, we come back, started rehearsals again. That man, that man, in a week, in a week, learned how to whistle perfectly. Wow. And on cool. I was like, how dare you? How dare you show us up? And then he goes and wins. <laughs> uh, he goes and wins uh, Singer of the Year at, like, Nats. Oh, cool. And just, man, I love you, but also despise you. <laughs> Whistling, you have to do for so many roles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sweeney Todd got okay, a whistle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Billy Flynn got a whistle. Those are the two. So you must be <laughs> able to whistle I've too. Done I, yes, I can. Yeah. I love whistling. It annoys people, but I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you were just in Florida doing Chicago? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so you go from London to Mexico to Florida to be Billy Flynn, and then you're going now to Arkansas to direct a to direct a music video for a country star. Yeah. Okay. One, tell us <laughs> about your experience as Billy Flynn, and then I need to know details about the uh, uh, country star. Yeah. Well, Billy was so fun. Um, that style of singing, that you know, twenties like jazzy uh that's very much uh a home base for me so it was really fun to do that on stage um and and as you uh said earlier my dad is a jazz guitarist so i, I grew up with jazz all the time and jazz singers and listening to that style so a lot a lot of fun i i love doing musicals especially i've been doing so much opera in the past 10 years it's really nice to touch home base and do a musical where i feel like you know i i know what i'm doing <laughs> um because it's they're just a little easier in some ways um or maybe my uh natural skills so they, it feels easier i don't know um but uh yeah it was a lot a lot of fun to play billy and and um 
that style of singing, the acting, uh, you get to dance a little bit, like all things I love. And, uh, and yes, so I'm currently in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm directing two music videos this week for um, uh, Bonnie Montgomery, who's Arkansas Country Music Artist of the Year, like many years in a row. She's kind of Arkansas royalty and uh, big in Texas also and Nashville. And um, so I'm a big fan of hers. And she's actually also a composer and has written operas. And I produced one of them. So we became friends um, when I produced a workshop of her opera called Billy Blythe about the teenage years of Bill Clinton in Arkansas. Oh, wow. Really, yeah, really beautiful piece. Um, and it's like not even really about Bill Clinton. It's just like a coming of age story about a young man. Like it doesn't even matter who it is. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful piece. And yeah, we've been friends ever since. We've collaborated a lot over the years and she's on my Christmas album with me doing some stuff. So cool. she just signed with a new label and she has an album coming out this fall. And she called me and was like, uh, my label's letting me pick a director for my music videos. So you have to do it. Like, all right, yeah, I'll be there. That's so <laughs> great. great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and I do love directing. It's something that I've I've done quite a bit of, but it's not something that um uh it's not like what I'm known for, obviously, but sure. it's something I really love to do and um and I always say yes when I have the opportunity, just because it's I really I love collaborating with artists and I love um creating an environment where artists can do their best work. And um, it's not really like directing, it's like being a guardian of time and space. And that's something I really cherish. Yeah. Um, Sandra, our producer, is in Fayetteville right now as well. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, and she asked Walton Arts Center? No. Okay. I think she might have assumed you were performing. Oh, no, I'm not. Um, so maybe that's why. I mean, I might. you never know. I could end up, you know on a street corner this is impromptu but, yeah show. <laughs> yeah uh, but then later on this week we go to little rock and film uh one of the videos at whitewater tavern uh, which is a famous mm -hmm. venue here and um yeah so we were location scouting today to confirm our locations for this outdoor shoot uh that we're doing wednesday and friday which is really fun cool yeah that's a dream of mine too i would love to be involved with music video more yeah because i've done costuming for them and wardrobe and stuff like that but not like and i've done like still photography for behind oh. the scenes stuff but not like i want to direct one i want to make do one. it yeah do it i started doing them in in the old pandemic because we didn't have you know a stage to be on so i started making right. my own music videos and they were really wild but it's a lot of fun and um and such a such a unique form and to me it hits home because i grew up you know i was born in 81 so like music videos were the thing and yeah. it was like you know you like it was like michael jackson's video is premiering at nine o'clock tonight and the whole family was around the tv and it was like <laughs> what's he gonna do this time you know oh my god so when MTV yeah, it was like was really not videos. yeah 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 music videos mm -hmm. <laughs> music television yeah so it was like michael jackson and madonna and and celine yeah. dion and meatloaf like that was like oh my god those were the days for yeah sure. yeah if you could go back and be in one of those music videos which one would you choose well that's easy celine dion it's all coming back to me now yes. <laughs> that was such a great quick answer <laughs> i love it i feel like someone's asked you that before no i just knew <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better, so. 
I wish we could somehow make that happen for you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, in the video exists how it is. So we yeah. won't touch that. I can close my eyes and be there. Okay. So, That's yeah. good. In every frame. <laughs> Celine, yeah. if you're listening today. <laughs> Celine, I hope she's doing okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. And a rough week for Madonna, too. A bacterial infection. Saw that, too. Yeah. No. We need to hang on to these people. We've lost too many of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We're putting a protective order on uh, Dame Judi Dench, Mm -hmm. Dame Julie Andrews, uh, Celine Dion, good old Babs, uh, Barbara Streisand. So, uh, yeah. And Madonna. And Madonna. Yeah. I would like to them. add Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen to that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. There are probably others, and we're not going to share. share. Oh, gosh. We have, we have share yeah. in the chat room. Share. <laughs> we have share in the chat room. Thank you, yeah. Share, for listening. <laughs> share, we love you. Please sponsor us. We love you at theevemacron.com. <laughs> I was thinking about who your peers might be. Mm-hmm. And chat, but who? What was one of your peers that like consistently blows you away? Oh gosh! Um, Besides share. In what? <laughs> give me a genre. Oh, I don't know. Um, I was thinking of singing. Like classical. Yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> Isabel Leonard. Okay. Another she's, quick answer. Good. Yeah, she's amazing, and. Um, I don't know. I think about opera and classical singing, um, and I think about Beverly Sills, and um, and of course Maria Callas. And but this time when opera truly existed in pop culture, and you had like Beverly Sills on the Muppets and on the Carol Burnett show, and you know Ed Sullivan and everything. And um, and I'm I'm here just looking out for this cherished art form and i'm like okay what's happening now and how are we keeping it relevant and what are we going to do to to um keep it in pop culture and develop new audience and everything and i look at an artist like isabel leonard and i think she does that just by being the person she is um and then she's an exquisite artist and and a really phenomenal actor and i think acting is especially important um, as we develop new audience, I think um, I think acting in opera is as important as acting in musical theater now. And I think that's a good thing personally, but I do get in fights about this sometimes with people. So Really? Yeah, you know, a lot of people are like, it's just about the voice. It should only be about the voice. And I'm like, but you're telling a story and you're wearing a costume and there's lights and a set and, uh, you know, like tell a story. There's a, a minimally facial expressions. That can be a lot to ask. No. Well, He's not lying. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, but everybody has different feelings about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think everyone's really defensive about opera right now because we're concerned about its uh, future, you know? Sure. I would say it's an endangered art form. Yeah. If we're, if we're looking at it the way we classify like species of animals, it's not, it's not extinct but it's not just threatened, it's endangered. Critically endangered. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I remember I, I went and saw Aida at the Met this past year and it was like, uh, there were like a thousand people there. And I confirmed that with the ushers and it's, you know, it's almost 5,000 seat house and it's like, yikes, it's not going well. Yikes, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny you brought up the Muppets, too. And yeah. <laughs> that's something that uh, came up in conversation recently, and that was a lot of us learned about... I, I'm gonna, We're going to date ourselves here. A lot of us learned about classical music and some of these great pieces and opera from, like, Looney Tunes. Yeah. And yeah. if it weren't for those cartoons, then... <laughs> Yeah. Then we wouldn't know what what that what those were. We might hear them in passing or in other productions of some kind, but like it was ingrained yeah. because of that. Yeah. And the next generation it was like you would you would hear those things on commercials maybe. Um like I remember the right. Lock May flower duet was on like yeah. was it Virgin Atlantic or some airline commercial. Yeah. And, mm. and that was like okay we got that now you know but it was yeah it's not like used in an engaging story with like a cartoon rabbit come on you right. can't beat that yeah so yeah it's yeah it's 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 um it's a conundrum and also you know like the met i always refer to the met but they're kind of a standard bearer for the industry sure. right and it's the largest performing arts organization in the world um so it's um you know, they put out the big statement recently that they're going to focus on contemporary works, which is really cool. I mean, that's where I, I live as a, as an opera singer. That's my home is contemporary works. Um, so I'm excited to hear that. Um, but it's a it's a mixed bag. Some people are really excited about that. Some people are really threatened by that. And it's it's a big divide. Without getting too political about it, why yeah. do you think that is? Well, um, that's kind of the same thing I was saying about singing or about acting in opera. It's like some people think it's just about the music. Some people are like, I want the full package. And um, it just depends on your standpoint, where you're coming from, like my personal perspective, but being coming from the theater first and getting into opera later. And also as a child, when the opera came on the radio on Saturdays, I was like, please turn it off. This is horrible. You know, <laughs> so I had this visceral negative reaction to it as a kid. I love it now and I love doing it and I love going to it. Um, it's it's definitely the art form that I attend the most. Um, but I don't know, honestly, why it is. There's, there's, there are the people who want to just hear Puccini and Mozart and there are people who want a new experience and want to be challenged. Um, and, and then there are the people that want both. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess it happens in all art forms, right? It's like you have New York City Ballet and there's some people that just go to the the Balanchine romantic things and some people that are going to the Just Impact modern things where they're wearing sneakers and streetwear. And and I was at a performance of that recently and, and you had uh, the people complaining that they were wearing streetwear and sneakers and they wanted to see the point shoes and the tutus. And then you have the younger people who are like freaking out that they're they're seeing this cool thing that they really respond to emotionally. So I don't know. I don't want to say it's a generational divide, but when you break it down and generalize, it kind of is in a way. Um, but nonprofit arts, it's a tricky thing because it is in the United States, of course, a patron supported form. It's yeah. not commercial like Broadway. Um, so it's, and it happens to be that the the patrons who are giving the most money are an older generation. And that presents um, challenges. One being you want to cater to that audience. The other being realistically, that audience is not going to be here much longer and you're not developing a new audience. And the new audience that you are bringing in, they're not used to being asked for money 
and pledge drives and like, thank you for coming. Can you also give us $500 on your way out the door so you can see more of this? Cause those people paid $25 for their tickets. So it's a big, it's a big old mess. And I trust that we have a lot of brilliant minds working on it, but um, you know, I think the pandemic taught us that even when we don't have venues mm-hmm. and even when we're not getting paid, the artists still make the art and, um, and, and it may be different than what people are used to seeing when artists start saying like, Hmm, what do I want to create when I'm not being paid for this? Or what do I sing when I'm not being paid to sing? What do I like to sing? And then that was my experience anyway. And, um, so I, while I'm very concerned about opera, I'm also like, okay, so close down every opera house, strip all the funding, the opera singers are still going to sing and they're mm-hmm. going to find a venue and they're going to do what they want and it's still going to exist. So they're going to write their own operas. They're going to. Yeah, yeah. 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 Have you thought of writing your own opera? Or yeah, for sure. Show? Yeah. 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 I, I write some. When do we get, <laughs> when will we get to hear it? Sometime. <laughs> and, and go. <laughs> Sometime. Um, no, yeah, I, I write and, uh, I'm working on some stuff. Good. (laughs) (laughs) To your point, I think that's kind of where, like the podcast, like what we have is trying to help bridge that gap. A lot of that is what I see from my personal perspective. Soapbox coming out. Um, From my personal perspective, I see it as not reaching them through through the modern mediums of things. You mentioned them coming in in sneakers in more casual wear versus those like on Broadway that are currently doing a lot of TikToks of behind the scenes sorts of things. They're Mm -hmm. doing lots of talkbacks with their audience and they're doing a lot of engagement activities or with a podcast like this, talking to a wide variety of different artists to make them aware of all the different mediums that are out there. We've had everyone from a blacksmith to now an opera singer and we're about to have um, a chef on later this month And so it spans such an incredible audience that I think we're trying to help bridge that gap between um, what is missing out and bringing on a new generation to find something that's new. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's important. And they all are part of a rich cultural landscape, right? Like all the arts really kind of rise together, you know? So from from your perspective, if you were to look at the current audience of like the up and coming, what kind of advice would you give them uh, for those that are looking to either go into an opera for the first time, go into musical theater for the first time um, as an audience member? Yeah. What kind of of advice would you give them? Um, Be prepared to be surprised. Go in uh, basically... I mean, I love first time opera goers and especially when when I get them to some of my, you know, more contemporary things because they're like, whoa, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Right. And uh, and because people often I find think like they have to research and know a language and have something formal to wear and the tickets are going to be really expensive. And I love kind of. introducing people to the idea like, no, you don't have to know anything about it walking in. You can wear whatever you want. We're just happy you're there. And, and I truly mean that when I say it, like, I don't care what you come in, like, just come. We want to share with you, uh, come as you are. And, um, 
and that there's accessible ticket prices. Um, I love, ex, uh, you know, I often ask for extra comp tickets and I like to find people in the communities I'm performing in to give them tickets. Um, like even if I'm at like, you know, Joe and Fabric's like, hey, do you want a ticket to my show this weekend? I actually have a comp, you know, cause you end up striking up conversation with people yeah. while you're traveling in the grocery store or whatever. Um, and it's it's really meaningful to get people to things and and then to engage with them afterwards and like ask them what they think and oftentimes they're blown away and then you can be like do you think it's something you would go to again like would you you know and and i like to also be like you know let me please reach out to me like if you ever want recommendations on what to see if you look at the met season and you're overwhelmed by the 30 choices like i would be so thrilled to guide you on your <laughs> selection of shows um and so um yeah, I would just say go in with an open mind, open heart, and be prepared to be surprised. And also, it's not just about like necessarily what is on stage and liking it or not liking it. It's about the shared live experience of being in a room with thousands of strangers and experiencing the same thing at the same time. Because um, I kind of I'm I'm one that doesn't like rehearsal much because I feel like it's I feel so weird and fake performing for no one like there's no people here like what are we doing this is weird <laughs> like for me it's not um it doesn't happen until the audience is there because they're half of the experience and we are um kind of having this cyclical relationship right. of giving and receiving um which is really important uh for the energy of a performance so um yeah just just get in there go see things for free see see whatever there's i mean there's so much going on and all the arts are just like, please come, please come, especially after the pandemic. It's like, please return. Yeah. <laughs> hey, new people, we really, we have this cool thing over here. Please come. <laughs> and so, you know, and the Broadway scene has changed too. Things are closing early now. And, and you know, like we just saw a Broadway show starring Audra McDonald close like very early. You know, that's never happened before. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, things are a little funky right now, so and and the formula isn't set anymore it's like it's not like oh this always works things have changed so i think everybody's trying to figure out what works now and what people want to see and i'm finding people really want to be entertained and laugh and experience joy and that like communal laughter is a really healing thing um so I, that's definitely been guiding me in the pieces that i've chosen to do recently i'm kind of like i don't want to do the piece about the war i want to do the one where we say fart jokes yeah you know <laughs> like i want to do the funny one <laughs> like, i can't blame you those are the yeah i, I totally agree with you that um like, i just want to laugh we need humor right now yeah right? yeah too dark yeah as like as a very multifaceted sort of person and as a multifaceted artist uh two more questions yeah one do you ever get any free time? <laughs> I mean, no. Um, I was just thinking about that as I was checking into my hotel today because um, one of my friends was like, are we still friends? Oh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we haven't talked in like a month. I'm sorry. Like, I haven't been alone in about five weeks now because um, I've been traveling with people or at my family home or doing a show or whatever. So, yeah, I don't really get a lot of free time. Um, I find my free time is like just if I'm home in New York and I'm not working and I get like a day where I can leave my phone inside and be out in my garden, that's a really precious moment. Basically when I don't have to talk to anyone and I can just like have my hands in the dirt 
that's a really that's the best but but i love what i do so much you know and um and i tried to quit in the pandemic i was like all right that's that time for a real job and health insurance and i applied for like <laughs> hundreds of jobs and i got two interviews and no jobs and um and then a bunch of other things in my life happened and i was like all right i guess i'll stick with this thing that i know since i don't know how to do anything else and i guess i'm pretty okay at it so whatever you know um but then returning to the stage and returning to a live audience my first show back was man of la mancha playing don quixote and that was just like life-changing and and I, it had been 19 months since i'd been in front of a live audience and that was the most i had gone since i first stepped foot on stage in high school right so wow. it was so like deeply emotional to to be we were out in this amphitheater like a giant and amphitheater because of social distancing like we're like lizzo plays you know and we're like doing our little play and um it was deeply emotional and also just to bring the message of that show um in that moment unforgettable like one of the best um live you know sharing music and, and words experiences of my life and in that moment i was like oh yeah i will never leave this this is what i do that's that good decision yeah yeah and it's just like okay yeah good times and bad times like you just do this this is this is what you do that's that yeah, you, you, oh, go ahead. Okay. nope i was just gonna say you have to do what you have to do so like if you ended up selling insurance but i would rather you know come see one of your shows instead of buying insurance yeah <laughs> i mean i'd rather wear wigs and costumes and yeah I, that's 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 what i've been doing since like i was three why would i change that so <laughs> A uh, little bit of a course correction, because Emily also likes to work in her garden. So I do have to ask, uh, what Gardening. is uh, yeah. what is currently in your garden? Well, I have a garden that doesn't always have me there. So it's, um, <laughs> um, I mean, the really cool thing is, so I have this apartment in Harlem. And it's a very tiny apartment, but with a private garden. Oh, nice. And it's a very special to me to have that outdoor space in Manhattan, um, but also very special to me. I feel this responsibility as like the steward of this small little parcel of land because I'm the first person to ever have it as a garden. It was previously the trash area for the building. Oh, and wow. yeah, and they knocked a window out and turned it into a door and cleared the trash out and made it, you know, this shabby little garden. So I nabbed it and moved in and I transformed it into this oasis. And um, so, all to say it's very special to me but i'm also not there a lot and so i have um it's it's like a zone 7b proper garden that thrives on its own um there's i'm not growing vegetables or anything um it's a lot of, of fir trees and stuff that lasts through the winter so it's green no matter when i'm there and it's very special i have a little fire pit that's awesome it's pretty great yeah yeah cool yeah yeah and it's actually inspired by uh I was really inspired by the gardens I saw in Japan. So a lot of it is uh, very Japanese inspired. And I have my fences, uh, not Shu Sugiban, but it looks like it, like the Japanese wood burning technique. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I built it and I stained the wood to look like that. So it's like oh, very, cool. yeah, it's cool. That's my, my secret oasis. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yes. You can find him at his secret oasis. <laughs> And I'll never give you the address. 
<laughs> the other question that I had is when do you consider a performance a success? When you live through it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of though, because <laughs> it, I mean, this is, so this year marks this, this, uh, well now, is it July now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So June just marked my 20th year in showbiz professionally. Um, my first gig was, uh, June, 2003 at the Bucks County Playhouse in Pennsylvania doing summer stock. Um, and so, uh, but all to say, I've been doing this 20 years now, which is weird to wrap my head around, but also that I still get nervous and I still get like fight or flight and my body, I got on stage and my body's like, no, no, what are we doing here? I'm going to sweat and tremble and freak out and want to vomit. And um, it's like, I, it's just part of my process now. So in a way, <laughs> in a way, like just surviving is successful. And that's the low bar that I keep for myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, if we want to take it above the low bar, I would say when, I don't know, it surprises me what, when the reactions, sometimes you're just like, like I have a solo show I did for several years and um, I did it in all sorts of venues, big theaters, small theaters, people's living rooms, you know, galas, whatever, like poolside at, in Hawaii at weird mansions, like all sorts of weird places. Um, and you never know when you're going to touch someone in a moment of their life that they need it. Um, and I remember specifically doing that show. It was a big switch for me to go from being on stage with lights to being like three feet away from people. And there's like a hundred people crammed into someone's living room um, for like a special concert and, and looking in people's eyes while singing and, and kind of realizing like, oh, there's nowhere to hide you're on and you have to like actually connect with these hundred people that you've never met and don't know. And I have had experiences with that particular show where I'm singing some enchanted evening or if ever I would leave you, which are two of my favorite things to sing. Um, but looking out into people's eyes and they start weeping and, um, and at first I was like, Oh gosh, I'll look away. This is a private moment, but I kind of learned to like, connect with them even deeper. And sometimes it means like walking up to them. And and when I sing, if ever I would leave you in that show, I walk around the room and I sing individually to people and try to hit everyone in the room. Um, not hit physically, but hit <laughs> to touch them with my music. It's a um, different show entirely. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's very different. Um, so uh, yeah, just connecting with people in that way. But all to say, um, when I see people having those emotional reactions, I know it's not really about me. It's about them and a memory they're connecting with. And I've learned that because um, these people have come up to me and they've been like, that was me and my husband's song. And he died a couple weeks ago. And it was like, he was next to me tonight when you sang that. And it, you know, or I'm singing some enchanted evening and I see like every person grab their partner's hand in the room and they like look at each other. And it's something that's really special. I'm just like, yeah, this is cool. We're just kind of like translating this material that people wrote in the forties into, um, into our voices and it goes out into the air and then it's picked up as an emotion and lives in someone's heart. And that's just like, 
why we do it right so that's that's to me the most successful performance it's just like somebody got something out of it that made them feel something that they needed to feel to um like transform a little bit or or move forward with more peace or love in their hearts that was a really long answer <laughs> no no that is that is great um so for me like done performances done those sorts of things um and i've kind of taken a step back from the theater world uh just a little bit for for you um to give advice to someone who is just getting started actually performing we mm -hmm. talked earlier about going in as an audience member and those that are up and coming performers um what advice do you have for them up and coming performers mm -hmm. well um do when I was starting out, I made this commitment to myself to do something every day toward toward my art. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it meant organizing my audition book or like making labels for my binder of songs. And, you know, it wasn't always like practicing. It wasn't always taking a class or a lesson, um, but just doing something every day and it's mostly just as a gesture to yourself, a little tiny token of like, hey, self, I believe in you and this crazy goal you have. Um, because uh, it's really easy to get wrapped up in just trying to survive. And um, I just always think about when I first moved to New York and there was my first six months were so hard. And I had I was just like scraping by begging, borrowing stealing you know <laughs> holes in my shoes like getting to the subway and the card doesn't work and you're like crap i don't have the money to get home what do i do now you know and and working like three jobs and all that and i just remember getting swept up in that just like surviving thing and i was like oh yeah but i also have this goal so and and this crazy passion and desire to do this thing so what are we doing to tend to that um because that's kind of how you survive emotionally, you know, it's like, it's easy to think about just like food on the table and rent, but it's like, what are you doing for your heart and for your spirit? And, um, and I would also say one of the biggest pieces of advice I got came from my voice teacher who I'm still with, um, 21 years later, um, and she said to me shortly after I graduated and I was coming back from lessons, she was like, "That you know, that's all great. You sound fine. You know, sure, that's hireable. But, you know, it's not incredibly special because you're just, you know, singing it pretty and lots of people sing it pretty. But when are you going to decide to be an artist and not just a student of the arts? And I was like, oh, oh my God, you know. And she was like, I mean, what do you have to say? Why are you singing this song? Why is it? important to you to sing the song right now and and in in hearing that too i kind of thought well like yeah i don't like this song like why am i singing it so i put it away and and started um a quest and went to the new york public library of the arts and like looked for new songs and stuff that i wanted to sing you know but it's like finding your little bit of inspiration and and also keeping your ears and eyes open for those messages because she could have said that to me and I could have it could have gone right out the other ear, but it's like um, kind of like keep yourself humble and be open to 
the messages you're hearing. Another piece of advice I got was from an acting teacher. And he said, if, if you hear the same thing like three times, let's say, like if you're hearing the same thing over and over again, like you have to take it and own it. So if somebody's like, oh, you're always doing this weird habit on stage and like three different directors are telling you, you have to be like, okay, I need to address that. Um, so, you know, um, know who your champions are and, and, and seek out their support and guidance and um, watch out for the bullies and, but also, yeah, tend to your spirit and always be growing and learning. That's a great answer. Thanks. It's just things people told me. It's not my own wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, that's what that's what it is, though, right? I mean, and that's where it's like, yeah, someone told me this, and now I'm telling you this, and you're going to tell someone this. And... But I think it's different from just hearing it and regurgitating it um versus having experienced it and mm -hmm. seeing the truth of that and then speaking that truth back out oh. kind of like learning the songs that you are you can learn a song and you can sing it pretty yeah. but you choose to give it meaning every time that you sing it so you're right. giving it a sense of truth right and and connecting yourself in a personal way to it and yeah i mean i think a, a a big challenge is like how do i take this role or this song or this show and that wasn't written for me and mm -hmm. make it as if it was you know like this difficult song that i'm not enjoying singing or this role i have to do that i'm not really connected to how do i make it how do i connect to it in a way that it feels like it was written for me and that i am actually with man of la mancha i had this weird dream where Cervantes came to me in a dream because <laughs> I was having major imposter syndrome and I was like this role is too hard I can't do this role I can't be on stage for an entire show telling this story this is too much you know yeah and Cervantes I had this dream where Cervantes was like out of everyone in the world I chose you to play this role and <laughs> and I woke up and I was like Cervantes was that a dream or did you just appear at my bedside and but I was kind of like yeah like I was cast in this role out of everyone in the world right now at Opera Saratoga, you know, so we're going to do it. And that's the job. Like, you're the one they chose. Like, get over yourself. Stop indulging in your, you know, ego and fear and just like do the role, you know, learn, connect with it. Um, and yeah, and then I, it felt like it was written for me because I was like, no, just how do you make this line that you don't understand work? Like, work on it more, work, work harder yeah how do you own it yeah 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 and how do you connect to it in a new way and and sometimes that's like going back and watching other people's interpretations and um sometimes it's just like you know connecting something from your your own life and saying something totally new that no one's thought about i think that advice can be applied to a lot of different art too yeah oh god yeah we've all yeah. been put in situations where it's like okay go and yeah yeah, you know, I photographed people and places and things that I haven't felt behind. You know, it's not feeling right to me. How do I make this work? Mm -hmm. How do I own this and make it my own? Same with costuming too. And you know, I'm not feeling the project. How do I make this my own? Yeah, so. you know, I'll say uh, apropos of that, um, I was at a uh, after show talk back while I was doing the Adams Family. Uh, I think with a school group and somebody asked how you, what did they ask? Like how you keep it fresh eight times a week and what your favorite 
show is that you've ever done. And BB Newworth, who is playing Morticia, was like, it's really important that whatever show you're doing at that moment, that is your favorite show and your favorite role. And I'll never forget that because I knew that that show and role wasn't her favorite. <laughs> but, but, you know, she was living that too. And I could tell when I watched her perform, I was like, wow, you really are living that, that challenge that you put out for yourself. Um, and uh, just making it work. Because at the end of the day, the writer's not out there with you. The director's not out there with you. Like, it's just you out on stage. And you're kind of solely responsible for all the material in that moment. Yeah, and I think there's something about when you own it and you can master it, it makes you feel better about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I learned that working in retail because I hated doing inventory. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I was going to be the best at inventory so that when I went in to, to do it or to handle any inventory issue, that I was just going to be that good so that I could go in and tackle it and just be done quicker. Did you enjoy it more? Yes. I enjoyed being the master of something. I enjoyed yeah. being able to walk in and go, all right, this here, this there, done. Totally. It feels great. Mm -hmm. to it does. Do I still stuff. don't love yeah. it, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but one, two things. One, watching her do apply the same thing to her photo shoots is an incredible work of art uh, because it's like, I need you here and I need this here. I don't like the look of this, so let's go pull this here and has an incredible vision, but also too can walk into a room and start assessing the processes of things that are incorrect. Um, incorrect. And, uh, <laughs> um, wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't do it. <laughs> uh, she just walks up to everyone. She puts a, a, a just a soft hand on the shoulder. You're doing this whole thing wrong. Yeah. No, yeah. I would never do that. Please. That's um, what we all need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's it is incredible to watch your artistic mind at work because of the things that you've done previously. I think informs a lot of the things that you do. Um, in your other life so it is really nice to watch you do that and so the thing you have transferable skills from that into a lot of your artistry and that's one of the things that i respect about you mm -hmm. um you're welcome uh because i'm gonna make you cry on this podcast again are you talking to me yes He's talking to you yeah yes emily thank you <laughs> I think everything informs everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I was working as a, a administrative assistant for, for my first six months in New York and uh, organizing other people's lives at a time where I really wasn't organized, but it taught me how to be organized. And that yeah. helped me a lot in my career path. Cause it's like, if you don't know, you know, when the audition is at what place at what time, when you need to leave your house and how you need to dress and what materials you need to bring with you, you're not going to get the job. You know, it's not just about, the talent at that point right. so yeah um, yeah two fun questions and sure. then we will wrap and i like these questions uh because when we were brainstorming we were like yes uh first one <laughs> not on the town you're in your favorite city you go to a karaoke bar what's your song of choice uh, i'm going to do bridge over troubled waters simon and garfunkel mm -hmm. Excellent choice. Excellent yeah. choice. Uh, and then 
what is one moment from a show that you've done that makes you the feel feel the most fulfilled oh god um the end of Akhenaten, this production that I've done like almost 50 performances of now. Um, I'm on stage most of that show. I think I get 10 minutes off in three hours. Wow. And um, when I'm done speaking and like 6,000 words have happened and I've carried um, a dead man and I've juggled and I've, you know, given everything I have, there's just nothing left. And I, um, I get to still stand on stage for about the last 10 minutes in silence and just look out at the audience. And I try to connect with everyone um, in a general way, because I can't really see them individually. But um, it's a really fulfilling, beautiful thing for me to just stand on stage for those 10 minutes and be full of an energy and be kind of like sending something out receiving something back but also have nothing else to do because so much of the time on stage it's just the way it is like i am fearful i'm gonna mess something up or be in the wrong you know say the wrong thing or whatever and make a mistake and i there's nothing there's no mistake i can make in that moment and i just get to kind of radiate my energy to the audience and receive that back in it is really meaningful and i cherish it i love that it's awesome yeah um like it's just about the space between us which is i think the most magical thing about performance indeed well zach i have loved having you on the podcast today um thank you so much for being here uh May I just say this is one of my dreams to be able to to be able to interview you. Oh, um, <laughs> well, thanks. I'm blushing. Um, yeah. So yeah, this this was those moments that you were talking about. Yeah, this is one of those for me. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me. It's a it's a pleasure, and uh, yeah, been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm glad we're not, you know, buying insurance from you instead. <laughs> I didn't tell you what jobs I was interviewing for. It wasn't insurance. Oh. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, to make sure that our uh, listening audience is able to uh, connect with you, uh, can you let us know some of the social media platforms you're most active on? Yeah, um, Instagram is my biggie, and I'm there at the official Zachary James. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, you know, I tweet a bit, etc. But I'm on the TikTok and the and the Facebook, easy to find, and uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty there. You can you can find me. Yeah. Yeah. And always, there's also your website, zachjames.com. Yeah, that old thing. Does anyone go to those anymore? I mean, I did. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank I you for visiting you. today. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, don't forget to juggle your peas. Peace. Love you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.
Emily. Hi, and hi, I'm Trey. <laughs> we want to tell you a little story about how we started this podcast. About a decade ago, Trey and I used to work together in a retail clothing store. The store that shall not be named Men's Haberdashery. And we really hit it off if you couldn't tell. Honestly, those were the days. <laughs> so many jokes. Like Gary Busey. <laughs> and the announcements on the intercom. This is your captain speaking. And Gonzo! <laughs> we were hilarious. We are shamelessly, intensely self-aware of our own hilarity. Because we thought we were comedians, we figured we should have a podcast. But about what? I mean, since we both had a background in the arts, maybe something about that. Right. We thought because both of us are in fashion, also you were in costuming and photography, and me in singing, corporate espionage, and theater, it totally made sense. Hey, Plus, I did mean, you just say corporate espionage? Look, I signed an NDA. Let's move on. Okay. You know, it was like one of those things where you're like, let's start a garage band, and it's exciting, and then you realize that you don't really have a garage to practice in. And then years later, like eight years later, we decided to make it happen. We bought a proverbial garage. It's so nice in here. Mm-hmm. Do you want something from the mini fridge? Um, do we have anything chocolate? I got you. Yes! So, because we both love romanticism, we both love art, so it became the Modern Romantic Podcast. And here we are. Do you know what the best part of the story is? Uh, we finally came down to Earth and realized we aren't comedians. No! We get oh. to interview artful heroes and creators while inspiring others. Okay, yes, yes. Plus, we have a wonderful, supportive community. I love connecting people. Plus, we're still delirious. I mean, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let's never lose that. Never! Never!